You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. at 330 South Market Street. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. All right, so our number one priority is to focus on the gospel and to have communion together. And if there's time after that, then I'll introduce the uh, topic message for the month on boldness. We're going to talk about being bold from the book of Acts for the month of August. And then we'll get back into Colossians and talk about family, kids, and work, and stuff like that. So I thought I would save that one until school season. But nonetheless, the gospel. The gospel is good news. So uh, in our great ability to have many different Bible translations and the ability to uh, take the Greek and the Hebrew and uh, put it into our language for today. We are blessed to have many different Bible versions, and so this is from the New Living Translation, and one thing that really uh, jumps out is that they, every time instead of saying gospel, they say good news. So I grew up in the church, I speak King James. I mean, I know what the gospel is, but if I you know, talk to my neighbor, my friend, or, you know, somebody that's not familiar with the Bible about the gospel, they're like, what? What's the gospel? So, I mean, like gospel music? You mean like country? Or, or... And they're confused about that. So this Bible translation that we're trying to hand out to people back there, the Blue Bibles, the How to Find God New Testaments, says good news. And it is good news. The good news is the gospel. The gospel is good news. So what is the gospel? What is this thing that we need to believe? What is this thing that transforms and changes our life? What is this thing that we're supposed to understand, believe, stand upon, and be bold about? What is this thing that we're supposed to say, to share, to know? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news, gospel, I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. And I encourage you to read all of 1 Corinthians 15, maybe for your devotions today. I'm going to skim through the highlights, kind of like eating the icing off the cake. It's going to be good. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but this is something that you're supposed to stand on, to be bold about. He continues, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said, that he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, Just as the scriptures said, and that's what our faith is based upon, is Jesus Christ. He came, he lived among us, he died for our sins, and he rose again. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 points out that if he didn't didn't rise from the dead, then what's the point of our faith? I'll continue. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. So after he came back from the dead, he was seen by Peter, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive when this was written, not today, though some have died. He was seen by James and later by the apostles. Last of all, though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, Paul writes. For I am the least of all the apostles, Paul writes. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. And we're, we're about to have communion, and we're going to talk about being bold for the next three weeks. And I tell you that one of the reasons that you aren't bold or that people aren't bold is because 
you know what you did in the past, or you know what you didn't do in the past, or you know that people know things that you did, and you're like, how can I be bold? I mean, people will just shut me down, call me a hypocrite, say I'm not good enough, say I don't know all the answers, say, you know, there's always somebody better than me. And Paul here is saying the same thing. He's like, I get to do this, I get to serve Christ, I'm, I'm doing this, but I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. I'm not even worthy to do this because of what I did. I mean, I basically gave my assent to having other Christians persecuted and killed, and I was a mess. But now, because of what the Lord has done for me, I work harder, I do all that I can, but it's God in me, it's not me, and there are results. And that's one of the biggest things about being bold for Christ is to be able to see results. It's so awesome to look back and see you took a stand for Christ and to see results. You took a risk and you see results. Sometimes you don't see results for a long time and you're like, was that even worthwhile? But know that God sees what you did and he can reward you for it. So jump to verse 17. So Paul's talking about now if Christ hadn't been raised from the dead, what a mess our faith would be, how useless it would be. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, We are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. And that's really what our faith is based upon. It's not a faith that's just for this life. It's life eternal. We are living our life now in this short period of time because of all of the eternal life ahead of us. So what you do today matters for eternity. The little things you do now can matter for all eternity. Jump to verse 51. Paul writes, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live with Christ, to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. And then verse 57, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So Paul writes this to us to encourage us, to teach us what we're supposed to share with others, and for us to be an encouragement to other people. What if you are the lifeline to that person who's broken, to that person that's messed up? What if God wants to use you to talk to that person that might be heading out to commit suicide? Uh, Somebody that came to church here a while ago had shared a a testimony that he was dropping off his kids and he was thinking about killing himself and instead he came into church and he stayed. He got saved and and things happened and he found found that that there was love here. And um, the same thing could happen in our life. But sometimes we think of ourselves so lowly. God can never use me. I'm not good enough. I don't have those skills. I can't talk like that. I can't share my faith like that person. But God can use you, especially if you have a personal relationship or friendship with somebody. So it's not always the person that you know, has the great skills that is the most effective. Sometimes God uses the fools to confound the wise. Sometimes he uses really humble people that you won't expect to amount too much to do the most, to be the most effective. But it's communion time, so I'll ask the guys to, or the people to come forward that are going to help us serve communion right now. And so I want communion not to be rushed, but a time that, one, you would really think about where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So hopefully you've uh, come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I realized that I was a sinner and that I needed Jesus to save me and to come into my life. And so I prayed, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life and save me and make me the person you created me to be. 
And that started a relationship. It wasn't the words of the prayer that saved me, but it was me basically acknowledging my sin, wanting to live a different way, basically repenting, and then coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I asked. He came into my life. I got saved. I received the Holy Spirit. I received assurance of my salvation. Uh, The Holy Spirit started to work in my life. I'm assured heaven. The Holy Spirit helped me to understand the Bible, and that's all the, it's like a package deal. When you receive Christ, when you get saved, you get all this stuff, and that's outlined in the front of the New Believers New Testament there. But it's communion time, so one, we want you to be saved. Uh, Everybody that is saved is welcome to take communion with us. And then we want you to recommit your life to Christ. Think about if there's sin in your life, confess that to the Lord right there in your chair, you know, and then recommit your life to Christ and say, I want to serve you from this day forward. I want to live for you. I want, to, I want all that you have for me and commit your life to Christ at this time. And if you've gotten all that done in that short period of time, then praise the Lord for what he's doing in your life and for how he's been using you, uh, for maybe how he's working things out together for your good, like Romans 8.28 says, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So Paul writes again, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So representing the bread, we have these crackers here. We're going to pass them out. We hope that you'll all hold on to them, and I'll come back up in a minute, and I will uh, pray, and we'll take it together. So this is the time that it would be good to confess any known sin to the Lord and recommit your life to Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you've given us an opportunity to to gather together in this place at this time to worship you and to remember that you gave your body on the cross, that you were pierced for our transgressions, that you went willingly to die for our sin. And Lord, that we don't have to work for it, but we receive it, we believe it. And Lord Jesus, we thank you. We take this, we eat. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And that is our great hope, is that Jesus is going to return sometime, and he is going to take us with him. He's going to uh, have us live with him for all eternity. Wherever wherever God is, uh, that is where we will be. So heaven is where God is, and we know it's going to be good. So he has a great plan for uh, the earth, he has a great plan for us, and we trust in his great plan when he renews all things. But our job now is to honor God, to live for God, uh, to lead other people to Christ, and to make disciples. So that's actually what the next next screen says. So now the music's going to play, we'll pass these cups around, we'll all hold it together, and when I come up and pray, we'll take that together. And this is the time where you might want to praise the Lord for all he's doing in your life. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that we can worship you together. Lord, I thank you that you use normal, ordinary people to do great things. Lord, I thank you that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you can use everybody here to do amazingly, eternally significant, life-changing works. Lord, that these people can lead people to Christ. These people can help people grow in their faith. These people can help the downtrodden, the brokenhearted, and the needy. These people can reach this community and this region for Christ. Lord, we just thank you so much for the opportunity that you give us and the promises that you give us in your Holy Spirit. We thank you. We take this. We drink. Amen. All right, so we're going to talk about being bold, and we don't have a whole lot of time. People ask me why I say we don't have a whole lot of time, and that's because when we say that our church is going to be an hour long, we're going to be an hour long. 
So that way, if people are making plans to go somewhere, they can get to their plans. It also keeps the nursery workers and the children's church workers from quitting. Being bold. Have you ever been bold before? I have to admit that sometimes I'm really bold and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes, like when I was in high school and I really wanted to live for Jesus, sometimes I was really bold with my faith and other times I just fit in with the crowd. If you got me around a group of friends, though, and we're all bold together, we are unstoppable. And that always seems to be my experience is that if you can get two or three people together that are totally committed to doing something, like we are all going to share our faith today together, it's going to happen and you're going to get a lot more done than by yourself. By yourself, there's always distractions and reasons not to, but you encourage each other and build each other up. And so I had shared this, I mean, when you've been in a church for as long as I have, it's hard not to share some things. But a good example of boldness was I was one of the leaders for an evangelism training thing for a week long. It was like a retreat thing for high school students. And so two-thirds of the kids would go out and talk to people, like at Nicollet Mall, the Mall of America, uh, Rosedale, uh, other places like that, about Christ. Try to engage them in a conversation and everything while one-third stayed behind and prayed. And then they'd switch off the next day, and we did this for a week. So we were over at the Mall of America had really great success at Rosedale, at least I did, talking to people. But um, all of America, everybody's moving faster, and it was hard to really talk to people. And so I'm supposed to be like the, the expert leader, be bold, encourage the kids and everything. So I had a kid with me. We went to talk to this one older guy sitting on a bench, and he was some kind of Jehovah Witness professor or something like that. And he started to ask me questions of things I'd never heard of in my life. I just looked at the kid. I said, I don't know what he's saying, so let's move on. So that's what we did. So that's what the expert does. He doesn't debate the Jehovah Witness professor because he has no clue what he's talking about. We just move on. And I think that's a great thing to do too, is if you're trying to talk to somebody and you know, you're not connecting or they're asking you, they're trying to trip you up with questions or whatever, just move on. So as the day went on, we tried to find people to talk to about Christ and it was okay, I thought. But then we were sitting out there, we were waiting for the buses to come and the bus was late. So this guy is over on the side of the wall of the, of the building having a cigarette. So I went over and started talking to him. And he's like, this is so weird. He said, I've been praying that if God was real, that he'd show himself to me. And here you are right now telling me this. So he prayed to receive Christ right then and there. And we connected him with the church that he could plug into and everything like that. And it was a God thing. And someone got saved. And so it wasn't because I had all the answers. It's just because I asked a question of somebody that was praying. And I want to encourage you that you should be bold because God's at work. You should be bold because God can use your shortcomings and work through you. And if you don't know the answer to the question, just say, I don't know, that's a good question. Let me try to find the answer for you. Or let me connect you to someone that has the answer. Or let me share this about Christ and then maybe we can try to talk about your question a little more. But to be bold in that way, that's one way to be bold. Another way to be bold is when you're confident in something. You have 100% assurance that something amazing can happen if you just do what you need to do to make it happen. So I, when we first came to start the church, I had the opportunity to borrow money to buy land. So I literally sent, I think it was like 26 or 28 letters to landowners saying, River Rock Church would like to, was interested in buying your land, please contact us. Nothing. Nobody responded. It was back in the opportunity days and everybody thought their land was going to be worth a little more. So there was a farmer on the other side of town and he would be out in his field and I'd be standing on the side of his field waiting for him and I'd be like, would you like to sell some land? No. Would you? And I did this for a while. I don't know why I picked on him. And then I went to a funeral at another church and he was an usher and since I was in the back, I was one of the last people out and he said, come talk to me, whatever it was, Monday at three about some land and we were able to purchase 
are 20 acres of land. And it would be weird to think, you know, what am I doing here? You know, how am I going to pay for this land? But we had the financial backing from the Christian Missionary Alliance, and they're like, if you can find some land, we'll let you borrow money for two years with no payments. Then you can make the payments, or we hope what you'll do is sell part of it. So at one point, we were $680,000 in debt on 20 acres of land. But I was able to walk up to somebody with full confidence and full boldness and say, sell us some land. Sell us your land. And it happened. And so now we have 10 acres and we owe 30-some thousand dollars on it. And we're looking to trade or find a way to build. But that was a great example of boldness because I had 100% confidence backing that I could make this happen. So I don't have that confidence backing now. So if you're selling any land, I, unless you want to trade, I, I don't have much. Anyway, being bold. In the book of Acts, we see that Peter and John are going to be bold. And this is going to be a series that we're going to continue. We're probably even going to use some of the same note sheets next week. Power for bold living. Remember, boldness is behavior born out of belief. The Greek word parousia, outspokenness, assurance, courage, confidence, to act without fear. And in Acts, we're going to see Peter. Peter the bold fisherman. Peter the, I won't ever back down, Lord. I'll always follow you. And then then Jesus is being taken into captivity. He's headed for the cross. And Peter denies Jesus three times, even once to, you know, a, a child, you know, because he's so fearful for his life. And then he's feeling terrible. I've ruined everything. I'm off the team. I'm disqualified. And Jesus comes back and says, no, you're reinstated. Feed my sheep. You're going to be the foundation for the church. Upon you, I'm going to build the church. So then Peter is like, infused with the Holy Spirit, and then preaches these messages, and thousands of people get saved, and he's doing all these great things. He has this great confidence, this great boldness, and we need to have boldness like this. So uh, Peter and John heal this beggar, and everybody in town knows about it, and the Sanhedrin or the rulers at the time, the governing officials or whatever, are pretty upset about the whole thing. When Peter is sharing these messages now, I mean, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He's being really bold. He's like, this is the Jesus that you crucified. The guy, remember the guy that you just killed? Well, that was the Savior. That was the Messiah you were looking for. And he's just like digging in the knife, and they're getting pretty upset about that. So if you look in Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. That is bold. Acts 4.13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So these men, the Sanhedrin, uh, the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, these men were astonished that you had these guys, Peter and John, preaching, proclaiming, uh, doing these works, these miracles that gave them authority, and were just amazed. These guys, where, where did they go to seminary? What rabbi did they follow? And sometimes we think that we can't be bold because we haven't done our seminary work. Where was your seminary training, your Bible college training? So, and one person that gets quoted a lot that has written many books that actually didn't go to Bible college, started being a pastor of a church after having an elementary education, 
but was greatly used of God, considered a great prophet of God, is quoted just about everywhere as A.W. Tozer. And the Holy Spirit used this simple man to do great things. And if you read some of his works like, what's that? The Pursuit of God. That's right. I was going to say, I was going to say something else. But yes, The Pursuit of God is one of the classics. There are many, many others. Amazing boldness. God gives ordinary people extraordinary boldness. So if you are willing to serve, God can use you. If you are willing to show up, God can do great things through you. So the leaders could see that Peter and John were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures and that they were upset but impressed. They couldn't truly, truly shut them down because of this thing that they had done, this miracle that they had done, this healing that they had done. And God can use you. Will you be used? Are you willing to be used? Number two, your boldness will amaze the world. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Do you amaze anybody with your boldness? Do people, are, they, are people taken back by your boldness and they're like, wow, you're really bold, or wow, I would never have the courage to do that, or wow, I'm so glad that you had the courage to share that with me. You know, the hardest people to share Christ with are family members and your boss. So those are like, well, if I share Christ with my boss, am I going to get fired if he doesn't like it? And so think about that. So I want to... Um, show this video clip that really fits in today about boldness. And it's about taking a risk. It's about having to do, be, um, I don't know, a church taking a risk on a guy that changed his life. So I'm going to end with this and the worship team is going to come up and we're going to uh, finish the boldness next week. But here we go. Once the system gets scared enough of you and they can't control you, then they either kill you or they make life so miserable for you that you're going to be locked down in a cage like I was for 13 years with no human contact whatsoever other than the ones that fed me. Then you start getting really mean and you want revenge. And so you start striking back. I mean, I was was terrible. My dad was in prison. I was accused of being just like my dad. My mother still didn't want me around told the judge she didn't want me and couldn't handle me. They judged me incorrigible and a juvenile delinquent at 10. When I got out of there, I think I was 15, and I started robbing because I couldn't, I had no place to go. I also robbed Armor Car and a bank in St. Paul and come up here to Wisconsin and was hiding out. They caught me up here. They had given me, started out seven years, and I turned that seven years into 30 for escaping from their prison system. After a prayer that I made in prison before I got out, like a month or so before I got out, I said, look, old man, let me make it. Introduce me to some good people. Nicole is my state agent. I said, are you going to be there for me when I get out? She said, I give you my word. It was very evident to me, like, right away, we need to do something different because we don't have resources, and I didn't know what we were going to do. How do we get a support system that's not the typical people they come back and hang out with? I'm like, we got to, like, get them to meet new people. Well, Nicole did send out an email just saying that I have a person, his name is Danny, and it had the complete bio. Would anybody be interested or have a mentor available? And so I called Dana, and he was really excited about that possibility. We didn't know if Danny was going to be receptive. 
there was a quite a risk involved, it seemed like, because we still didn't know much about him. I've volunteered most of my life. Mentoring Danny, um, risky, maybe, um, but worthwhile. After we met, we went to Walmart. Danny didn't have anything, so I asked Nicole, he's gonna need a phone. The phones are back in the electronics department. She's like, don't take him back there. He's already freaking out here, just picking out pants. Don't show him telephones. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I was overwhelmed. I mean, it was just like, like I was in a dream. Mentally, I'm still living the prison life. Totally different world. And it was nothing like it was when I went in as a kid. So it was all shocking, and the glass window opened up on me, but it was the door. I said, anytime you've got something on your mind, call me. It was a pretty heavy load. Things would happen, it's things that he didn't understand. He would get frustrated and angry about, and it's like, talk through him. Danny didn't like being alone. A lot of anxiety issues. And I called Pastor Jeff. Think it'd be okay? Would I be out of line asking Danny to come out to the farm? And he's like, no, that'd be a good idea. He hadn't driven anything, but he saw my lawn tractor. He's like, can I drive that? From then on, every day that he'd come over to the farm, he's like, hey, do you mind if I drive up the hill? I said, go ahead. One of the things that Danny was impressed with early on, he said, I'm surprised by how much love and care you guys are giving when you don't even know me. So just providing opportunities for Danny to be of help to other people and feel like he's offering something back. The more we hung out together and more I learned from him and everything and the trust built, he became like a brother to me. Church has showed me nothing but kindness. I want to give something back. It's God that's working things out inside me. I have value on life now, which I never had before. I hated everybody. I think this is really the the only time I ever felt any peace. Danny ending up here is a god thing. This is where he needed to be. He's become a lot more compassionate. If you give somebody a chance, you might be amazed at what they'll do. Never had one moment of regret. Could it have turned out differently? Yeah. How do we get people to even take the chance? I mean, we struggle with that every day because it's a risk and it's scary. You may get taken advantage of, but when it goes well, it's so humbling. God's done great things, both in Danny's life, in Dana's life, in Nicole's life. Who better to do it than people in the church, right? Well, the Apostle Paul was one of those kind of people. He even described himself as the worst of all sinners, and yet was given mercy. And so if, uh, if God can redeem Paul's life, it's just a glimpse of what he can do for anybody bold. So your homework assignment until next week is to pray, read through Acts chapter 4, but pray about what could you do to be bold? What is God calling you to do that would be risky that you would be willing to step out in faith and do? What is it that you could do to make your life more significant for the things of Christ if you would give up something or step out more or get more training? But pray about it. What is it you could do to be more bold? And we'll talk more about it next week. And just remind you that in Acts 1.8, Jesus has promised us his Holy Spirit to give us that boldness to testify about him, not only in our community, but around the world. 
You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. We meet 10 a.m. Sundays at Chatfield Elementary School on 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives.